Twins, it is so good to be back with you today. Man, I, uh, I, I returned from my sabbatical this past Monday after being gone for eight weeks. I'll tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I missed Crosswinds so much. I visited many churches and got to, got to watch services around the country. And I learned a lot on sabbatical, but one thing I learned in a powerful way, there is no place like home. And uh, I am so glad to be back with you and worshiping alongside you and getting to teach today and hugging some of you and working with the team I get to work with. And um, in a few weeks, when this series ends, we set aside a Sunday before we start the next series for me to share a lot of what God taught me on that sabbatical. But um, I learned from other pastors, maybe it's not best to do that on your first Sunday back. Give it a couple of weeks. So, uh, so two weeks from today, I'm going to be walking you through some of what I figured out on this sabbatical, although uh, some might slip in here and there even today or next week as I teach. But otherwise, we're going to continue on with I Dare You Today. But one thing I will say right away, I am incredibly grateful for those of you who jumped in and served and volunteered around Crosswinds while I was gone, uh, serving other people, serving God. Um, it was so good to know that was happening. I want to thank you for your prayers over those eight weeks. Um, God was speaking loudly to me, and I think it's because he was listening loudly. If you can listen loud, I think he was listening loudly to you. I, I am incredibly grateful for our staff who I missed a lot while I was gone. Man, it is really hard to not talk to the people that you work with every day for, for eight weeks while you're gone. That was a challenge because many of them are more than staff. They are friends, and some are more than friends. They're like family. Um, one is actually in my family, and, and, uh, and I don't know that I want to be away from all of those people again. Uh, I, I am grateful. I'm grateful for our teachers and our guest speakers who I heard all did really great jobs, and it was great to not have to worry about one Sunday morning at all, and, and I'm grateful for our elders who cared enough about me and, and whatever God had for me in that period of time to give me that sabbatical, and uh, I promise I will not wait so long to take another one because I think... I heard some things from God about me and some things about crosswinds, and, and I would not have heard them if I didn't take that time. Uh, and then finally, I, I want to say thanks especially to Matt and, and Jody and their leadership of the church and our team while I was gone. Uh, we've got some really great leaders, and I so appreciate their partnership, and it left me confident crosswinds would be just fine without me the entire time. Uh, speaking of Jody, uh, most of you don't know, Jody began a sabbatical this past week, and uh, actually she's worked here longer than I have, never had one, and we decided earlier this year that she would take one too, but that it would probably be wise of us to not take it at the same time, so that one of the two of us would be here. Uh, so long story short, she'll be gone for six more weeks, and uh, if you would do the same for her as you have done for me, just pray for her in this time that she has with God and with her family, and if you would just respect her sabbatical boundaries, uh, I think this will be a rich time that she really needs. What do I mean by sabbatical boundaries? Well, I told you that I turned my phone off. I took my SIM card out. I didn't get anything. Uh, I had so many people texting me about the Golden State Warriors finals. <laughs> Never got any of them as I watched those games uh, illegally over the internet in Mexico. So uh, a great eight weeks. I'll tell you more soon. Um, but let's jump into the sermon today, high school. Um, one of the things I got to do on my sabbatical was go to Chicago and spend some time kind of visiting the places where I grew up. And uh, I took my oldest daughter with me. Uh, I would spend half a day alone with God, and then I would go back to the hotel, and I would pick her up and show her around, you know, show her all the places. And one place I got to take her was my high school. 
Now, when I was in high school, I had a, a, a brief involvement with theater and being part of the drama club. Uh, that is my high school auditorium right there. Uh, and, and I say brief, because it was really the only time in my life that I'd ever done a lot of stuff like that, acting, uh, trying to become a character, putting on a, a performance. So in high school, I was in a number of, uh, of plays and a number of different characters. Um, I was a New York City cop in one of those plays. Uh, had to try out a New York accent, which I will not do for you right now, because it was embarrassingly terrible. Um, I was a baseball player in another one. I, I was an Italian mobster. <laughs> which was easy. In fact, they didn't even make me audition for the part. They just told me, you're gonna be the Italian mobster. But the hardest part of all of this was having to memorize a script. I still look back in shock that I was able to memorize one because I can't even memorize my license plate, for real, let alone a bunch of lines in a script. But I would work very hard to remember each and every word just the way it was written. I did my best to learn the script. Now, whether or not you were in high school theater, you have memorized scripts. Things like the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, the Alphabet, uh, or maybe you went hardcore and you're one of those people who had to memorize the entire periodic table of elements. Anybody in here have to memorize that at all? Okay, somebody, I just want to applaud you for having to do what I could never, I couldn't even memorize the top line in chemistry class in high school. Uh, maybe you accidentally memorized something, like you saw in the video, we just watched uh, commercials and jingles and songs. Those are all scripts, those things that played on repeat. Well, well, whatever we call it, every single one of those things I'm talking about is a script. They may not be a script for a play, but they are words or they're thoughts that, that you learn how to say or, or think or sing and you learn how to do those things in a, in a certain order. That is a script. Now, scripts can be more than words, right? Like, like I said, they can be thoughts, but they can even be actions or movements. Um, one of the places I went on my sabbatical was Cozumel. Anybody been to Cozumel before? Uh, I have always wanted to go someplace to an island with just those turquoise blue waters. And, and so I flew there directly from Chicago. Andrea flew and met me there in Cozumel. And the two of us got to spend the week just driving around this island and sipping daiquiris and floating in the ocean. This is an actual picture from my beach chair in Cozumel, Mexico. Anyway, the place we were staying had activities, had beach volleyball, and it had pool volleyball. It had all these things you could do. But what we found was nobody was ever going to the activities because people were doing their own things. They were not interested in the resort activities. And so this poor activities director would sit very lonely in his palapa, <laughs> or he would be out begging people to come join his thing. Well, one day, he announced that he was going to be offering salsa dancing lessons in this room near the pool. And Andrea and I looked at each other, and we said, hey, let's, let's go learn how to salsa dance. Big group of people. We'll be in a class, nothing intimidating, and we will blend in, and we'll stand in the back of the class, and if it's bad or if we're bad, we'll just kind of slip out, no one will notice. And we showed up, and because no one goes to the activities, we showed up, and we were the only ones there. And we got a very private lesson from the activities director. And, and the activities director taught Andrea some steps. And then he taught me those steps, but kind of backwards, like a mirrored reflection of what she was doing. And then he taught us the next steps. And then the next steps. And you try to put it all together. And uh, let's just say we're not going to be on Dancing with the Stars anytime soon. <laughs> but what he was teaching us was a script. 
the order in which you do certain things or you think certain things or you say certain things, a precise way, is a script. Something you memorize to the point where you don't even have to think about it anymore. Hopefully it just comes out the right way. Well, I bring all of that up today. Because in addition to all of those scripts that we've all memorized at some point in our life, the Pledge of Allegiance, um, um, the Steps to the Cupid Shuffle, even your phone number is a script, there are other things we memorize too that are not so good. We have some negative scripts. As much as we've memorized good information and, and good instinctual response and some good feelings we feel, there are some negative scripts that we have memorized as well, we've learned. For, for, for example, there are some hard feelings that some of us have memorized. What I mean is, when someone attacks us or, 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 or injures us emotionally, maybe even lets us down, we feel hurt, we feel pain. And often if they do it again, we feel pain. If, if that experience, being hurt, occurs often enough or in a real marked way, we can memorize that pain and bring it back in an instant even when the latest event that happened to us doesn't warrant that kind of pain. Our feelings are just following the script that we memorized from the other times. I'll say, in addition to the feelings we can memorize, there are responses that we memorize. Like when something goes wrong at your work or at, or at home, and it quickly becomes apparent to everybody that someone has messed up, a script that many people have is to respond by pointing a finger. I, I can't tell you how many times I have, or teams I've been on where things will go wrong, which by the way, things always will, things happen, but when it becomes clear that something has gone wrong, rather than everybody problem solving, the first move, the first reaction is to try to blame. And it's not even a conscious thing. Sometimes it's just people script, blame, blame. Our responses, our reactions, unknowingly follow a script that we have memorized. Okay, we have feelings, we have responses that we've memorized, and then we have words. Really, they're like thoughts that we memorize. These, these things that we tell ourselves like, uh, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy. Man, people don't appreciate me. Everybody's out to get me. Long before I came to Crosswinds, I worked with a woman who was constantly overwhelmed. What I mean is I never knew her to not be overwhelmed. She always had way too much on her plate. And so uh, I saw the organization removing things from her plate to try to make life easier. Okay, she was still overwhelmed, way too busy, constantly complaining about it. And so then I saw the church hire her an assistant to help her get everything done, or, or really just to alleviate some of the panic that she was feeling. Didn't help, it was always still too much. Okay, get this, eventually she lost her job and had no work. She just got 40 plus hours put back into her week. And I would run into her at the store from time to time or at a movie, something like that. And I would ask her how her life was going and she would still complain about having way too much going on. Except now it wasn't her bosses trying to put too much on her plate. It was her friends and it was her family. It was life and it hit me. Oh, that is her script. She, she has memorized the feelings and thoughts and words of someone who is too busy. And even when things were adjusted to be more manageable and really were more manageable, she couldn't shake the script. All right, you have a script that you play out every single day. And, and, and like I said, some of that's okay. Helps us do our jobs. It's important information. But some of the things we have on our script, not so good. 
And, and I'll just ask you, think about what your life would be. Think of how different it would be if each day that script wasn't something you were compelled to have to follow. What would change in your marriage? What would change at your work? What would change in your words? Think of how different you would appear in the mirror to yourself if you could change your script. Well, God is all about doing that. He is all about changing your script. He is about transforming you, and one way he does it is through renewing your mind. Um, Romans 12.2 says, take take a look at this. We'll put it up. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, would you read this line with me? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love it because it says it right there in Romans. All of us, it says, whether we're conscious of it or not, we have patterns and scripts that we follow, but God is all about changing those scripts and renewing your, my, our minds. Let me tell you, this morning, the primary way he does that is through giving you a new script. And the new script is in the Bible. And the dare that I want to give you today shows you how to use the Bible in your prayer life to create a new script. And I want to show you how we do that by looking at a story with you that is in Luke 1. We're going to look at the story of a guy with a negative script that gets him into quite a bit of trouble. And then we're going to figure out how in the world that guy changed his script. Now, that man's name is Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was a godly man, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they are having trouble having children. And that is probably putting it mildly, because the Bible says in Luke 1 that they were well advanced in years. Um, That means they're not just 20-somethings or 30-somethings having trouble. Now, we're not quite sure how old, but according to the Bible, they are too old for children. And the reason that is important, something you need to know is that there is a script that goes with that, isn't there? Um, when you have been trying for years and years to have children and it's not happening, often you begin to tell yourself it's never going to happen, especially at their age. Think about this. Every time they see someone that they haven't seen in a while who asks now, how many kids do you guys have now? Grandkids. Zechariah has to go into his script. We don't. We won't. That's his scripted response. He said it hundreds of of times. When they see a newborn, when they run into somebody in their community that's just had a baby and everybody's celebrating, they have an emotional script. Excitement for those people and then disappointment for themselves and then maybe just shutting down like I'm not not even going to think about this. It hurts too much. Okay, that has happened time and time again. This is Zechariah's script. This is all that he knows. Now, Luke 1 verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, and when he saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, let's just, let's stop right there. Get this. This is kind of a once in a lifetime for most of us, um, never in a lifetime thing, right? An angel appearing to give you a message from God. I know that in the beginning of Luke, it seems like angels appear to people left and right. You've got Joseph and Mary, and you've got the shepherds. Seems like if you don't have an angel appear, what's wrong with you in Luke 1? But, but this is highly unusual 
And this is actually before Mary and Joseph have an angel appear. And, and so this angel appears and it says, you are going to have a son and I want you to name him John. Now, you may have heard this story before, but there, there are some important details that you need to know for today, okay? The angel does not just stop at, you're going to have a kid, name him John. He makes some promises about who John will be. And I want you to look at this, uh, look at this with me real carefully. Verse 16, we start to see these. This is the angel still talking. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. So God will bring back lost people to himself through your son, Zechariah, through John, meaning he will redeem them. He will take something that's gone bad and he will make it good through your son. Now, I want to make sure you hear these promises. We're going to look at three real quick. So to make sure you're getting them, I want you to say them with me. Would you say redeem with me? I'll say it, then you say it, okay? Redeem. Redeem. All right. Meaning, he's going to take the, the bad and make it good through your son. That is a promise he makes, Zechariah. Your son will be a part of redeeming the people. Okay, look at verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord, your son, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And there's two promises right there that I want to show you. One, your son's going to go before God and call people to righteousness and holiness. Would you say righteous with me? Righteous. Righteous. Okay, you got the second one. And then the third here, he will prepare their hearts for an encounter with God, what we know turned out to be Jesus. Let's do prepare. Prepare. All right, you've got all three. Righteous, prepare. What was the first one? Oh, redeem. Okay. Now get those promises. Let those register with you. Your son will be a part of Israel being brought back to God, redeemed. Your son is going to call people to righteousness. Your son, John, is going to prepare the way. Now, significant moment here, wouldn't you agree? Most people would leave that room thrilled that they have been chosen to be the parent of such an important child, and they would play such an important role in God's work. In fact, this is going to be the culmination of all of Zechariah's dreams. He's a priest for crying out loud. He's a spiritual leader for all the people. He wants to see those three promises happen more than anybody. His life has been about those promises happening. And he's finally, he's finally going to have a kid. What he and his wife have hoped for for so long. This is wonderful news. Except, look at what happens in verse 18. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Um, by the way, something you only say about your wife when she is not around. Would you agree? <laughs> but Zechariah responds with his script. How can this be? There's no way. I'm an old man. My wife is old too. We are childless. Okay, not that he doesn't want children. It's just that his script for so long has been to say, that's not going to be for me. That's not going to be for us. And without even realizing he's doing it, he gives his pattern memorized, scripted answer. He has been praying for a child forever. He hears he's going to get one, and he says, nope, not going to happen. And what, I'm, what I want you to see, the script is so loud in his head, he just can't not hear it. Now, why do we do this? Why does he do this? Because his script protects him, keeps him from getting excited, only to be disappointed. 
keeps him from getting his hopes up, right? Keeps him from being embarrassed when it doesn't happen. His script keeps him from being hurt. But guess what else his script does? It keeps him from experiencing joy and faith, and it keeps him from God's new script. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Um, I stand in the presence of God, like that's my day job, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and you do this, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, till your wife has this baby, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And in that moment, the Bible tells us, Zechariah goes mute. I, I have always been fascinated at that part of this story, Zechariah going mute, because it's such a weird thing. It's like this punishment. And I feel bad. I mean, come on. This guy has had it tough. He's an old man. He's set in his ways. Just give him a break. But see, this is, this is not about punishment. This is about a script. Zechariah has a negative script, and the angel stops him from continuing with it. It is memorized. He doesn't even have to think about it. It just comes out. He may not even know he's doing it. This is just who he is. This is how he does life. But the angel says, no, and he cuts the script off so that it will end. Now, just a, a quick timeout. I got to ask you, how many times has God tried to cut you off in the middle of your negative script? Not with an angel, but, but have there been moments where your instinct has been to respond or to react or to feel a certain thing, and then somehow God surprised you with something out of character in that moment that did not follow the script, that threw your script away. He didn't mute you, but he made it clear, hey, we're not going to follow that negative script anymore. Has that ever happened to you? And, and here's the real question. Did you go back to the negative script in that moment? Did you go back to the script, try to turn the event into what it's always been, or did you live in this unscripted world with new responses and new feelings and new thoughts and let God use it to change you? Um, our team at Crosswinds works really hard around here, and there's no day that most of them work harder than on Sunday. Every day they work hard, but Sunday, there's a lot of stress. And uh, one thing I've noticed working as a pastor for 25 years, everyone can get real uptight and panicky, and, and, and the team on Sundays, the stakes are high. We don't want to blow things. It can get a little bit tense. And along with that comes the potential for us to uh, maybe get a little bit short with each other and to lose patience and to, and to get a little demanding and uh, to just... You know, you know what happens when you get stressed, right? It's your script. You get panicky, and you start looking for people to blame and people who must not be doing their jobs right to cause you to, to feel the way you feel. And so over the years, I have watched certain pastors I work with feed the negative script on Sunday morning and get everybody panicked. And then I've watched some pastors so good at calming the script. But the best thing I ever saw was when I became a pastor in Las Vegas, um, the worship pastor of the church I worked at said to me my first day, hey, I want you to know, we have a rule here. We have a value here. Here it is, no blank on Sundays. Except he didn't say blank. This is our culture at this church. No blank on Sundays. We treat each other well. If we're gonna have an argument around here, we save it for Monday. <laughs> Things will go wrong here and there. It's okay. 
We're going to move on. We're not going to panic, and we're going to enjoy what we get to do here on Sunday. All right, I loved it. When I became senior pastor of Crosswinds, that became staff value number one, day one, no blank on Sundays. Well, um, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, my very first year as senior pastor at our old building in Dublin, uh, we got to church one Sunday morning, and uh, we had a meeting with the band like we normally do in the morning. They're rehearsing, and, and the tech teams and all the people are getting ready for the service. And in the meeting, we were talking about how after the service that day, we were going to be doing baptisms in the auditorium. And, and then we all kind of looked over to the side of the stage, and we realized, oh, wait a second, there's no baptism tank. See, in our building, we had this tank on wheels that we could bring into the auditorium, and we'd put it down on the floor, and we'd set it up earlier in the week, and we'd have it ready for the Sundays that we were going to be using it, and, and, and this was a day we were going to use it, and it was not there. And a few of us who work here thought, uh-oh. Now, you might think, big deal. Just, just wheel out the tank, throw some water in it, you're good to go. And that would be true, except our tank was kept outside across a parking lot in a caged-in, fenced-in cage area, and it was huge, and it was heavy. And that Sunday, there was a downpour like you wouldn't believe. Also, it took a few people to move this thing. Um, we typically moved it in on Monday of the week before the baptism, six days before. And the only staff who really knew how to do this and set it up were the ones who'd been doing it for years and years. And Sunday was their day off. Okay, let me add to that. We didn't have a way to fill the tank real fast. Um, the way we would normally fill it, we would run a hose from a utility sink in a closet on the other side of the building. We'd run the hose through the auditorium and into the baptism. It was a real high-tech operation, you guys. <laughs> it took about eight hours to fill up the baptismal, and it was already 7 o'clock in the morning, and baptisms were at 12.30. Uh, oh, and once it would be full, the water would be freezing cold. There would be no hot water coming out of that utility sink. So typically, we would put a heater in the water overnight and leave it. It took a solid 24 hours to warm that tank up. Now, many teams that I have been a part of, many places I've worked, when something like that goes wrong, the initial reaction is to try and place the blame. Whose fault was this? How come they didn't get it set up? How come so-and-so didn't tell them to set it up? How come this other person didn't check to make sure that it was set up? Like nine out of 10 people, that is their script. I was so proud of this team that day. I didn't hear that at all. You know what happened? Um, in the middle of practicing a song, our band stopped rehearsing. They went out in the pouring rain, got soaking wet, and dragged this thing into the auditorium. And then two of the guys on our staff stopped doing all the other things they had to do that morning, and they started filling tubs with water, plastic bins, anything they could find from any place they could get hot water in that building, and dumping tubs into the tank. Here's the thing. In this moment, there was great opportunity for all of us to jump into our negative scripts, because blame and anger and panic is memorized. All of those are memorized in us. But that Sunday, God gave us a chance to stop that script, and we took it. I was so proud of our volunteers and our staff and our church. Okay, don't get me wrong. Monday, we talked about how to make sure that never happens again. <laughs> but God gave us a moment to stop the negative script, and we took it. We took it. Zechariah does not take it, and the angel stops it for him. 
Let's fast forward. Nine months go by. Comes time for, for Elizabeth to have this baby, Zechariah's wife, and uh, she does. Look at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared with her in her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, because that's what you do. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John. Elizabeth knew that God had said his name should be John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. But understand, Elizabeth follows the angel's instructions. She decides to name him John because she knows this child is not just an accident. This was God-ordained. He has a plan. He has a promise. Her community thinks she's lost it. You don't even have a John in your family. And so they ask Zechariah, who still cannot speak. Look at verse 63. It says, he asked for a writing tablet. Real quick, that's not an iPad. That's an old-fashioned writing tablet, just so you know. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And in that moment, instead of playing out his old script, Zechariah chooses something else, right? Instead of choosing to write his words, he writes God's promise to him. His name will be John. This is the child that God promised through this angel. This is God's new script in front of me, not my old one. And verse 64 says, as soon as he writes this promise, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. Now, what happens next is a prayer. We, we, we don't hear more about this man, Zechariah, in the New Testament. All we hear is this prayer. And, and it's traditionally become known as Zechariah's song, but this is really his prayer to God. Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Redeemed them. Oh, wait, what does that sound like? The angel's promise that God would use his son to bring God's people, Israel, back to him, that people who've wandered off will come back, that people who've gone bad will get to come good. Redeem. Look at verse 74, another part of this prayer. God will enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and, what word is that? Righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah prays another one of the promises the angel made. Your son is gonna call people to righteousness. And then look at verse 76. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way. And, and that was maybe the most significant promise of all, that his son would prepare the way for Jesus and salvation and forgiveness of your and my sin. And Zechariah, first words out of his mouth, loses the negative script, and he replaces it with a prayer where he prays the promises of God. He has a new script, and it consists of things that God told him about him. And this is what I want to challenge you to do this week. I dare you to begin replacing your negative scripts by praying promises that God has made in your life. And the place you find those is in Scripture. Let me real quick walk you through what that might look like this week. All right, what would it be for you to leave here today and make a list of just a few of the negative scripts that you know that you have 
I mentioned some earlier. Maybe, maybe your script is defensiveness. Like when somebody suggests that you have some work to do on something or maybe you could do things a little bit differently, you find you immediately get defensive and you spend an hour trying to justify what you do and why you do it the way you do it and then they just get frustrated and it leads nowhere. And the truth is, the truth is, you only respond the way you do because that's your script. Maybe it's attitudes you have about other people about other things, you find yourself, maybe you find yourself waking up every morning and things start off fine, but like 90 minutes into the day, you find you are exasperated. Not exhausted, exasperated. Like you find you're frustrated and, and angry and you keep seeing these little things that tick you off that other people do that put you in a bad mood. And the reality is, okay, yeah, there's not a lot that's perfect in this world, but you have a script where you start looking for things to make you upset throughout the day. Maybe your script is some negative self-talk, like I said. I mentioned at the beginning, things like, I don't belong here. People don't appreciate me. Everybody's out to get me. I'm not worthy. As I've been walking through this morning, maybe some negative scripts of yours have come to mind. All right, the first part of this dare is for you to identify what negative scripts you have. And then the next part of this dare, when you find yourself launching into one of those scripts, to take a moment and replace it with a prayer of promise. Again, what a prayer of promise is, it's simply a prayer that incorporates scripture into it. It's praying to God what he's already told you often about you. Now, I understand that may seem a little bit weird, right? What's the point? Why would I tell God what he already knows, the scripture he wrote? What's the reason for telling him what he wrote in the first place? Well, here's what happens when you pray promises to him. God does something in you. He enlarges your faith. He encourages you to believe the answers to your prayers, and he helps you to pray in line with his will for you. All right, maybe most significantly, praying God's promises replaces your negative script with the one that he's wanting to write for you. See, this is so important. God views you through your future. You view yourself through the past. You look at your failures. You dwell on them. You line up to repeat them. God, God just accepts you as you are, and then he lines up to turn you into something else. He accepts you as you are, but it doesn't mean he's going to leave you that way. And so here's what the prayer of promise looks like. Let me just show you how to do this. You read scripture, something like Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You read that and you pray to God, God, I know your word tells me that I am never alone. Or you read Romans 11:2. God did not reject his people. And you pray, God, I know that you have not rejected me. You will not forget me. Um, here's an easy one. Psalm 118:6. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? And you can pray, God, I know that you are on my side. Now, I, I know not everyone knows how to go and find these verses in Scripture. And so, in the books that we gave you at the beginning of this series, if you took the dare, the I dare you book, there's a list of promises written in scripture uh, in the week that we have right now that you're in. And, and you can use that as your start. By the way, if you didn't get one of these booklets at the beginning of the, of the summer, we still got them. They're free. You just grab one in the lobby on your way out. I dare you to replace your script with a new one, God's promises. 
and watch, just watch where that new script leads you, how it transforms you and your world. Now, before we go, to help you tangibly see how defeating the negative scripts are and how life-giving God's new scripts for you are, we want you to watch this short video. I can't get past my mistakes. Nothing's ever gonna change me. God can't accept someone like me. If people really knew me, they would reject me. I am my failures. I don't belong here. I'm defined by my secrets. I'm not good enough. People don't appreciate me. I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. <laughs> I'm a lost cause. I am a victim of my own choices. I can't get past my mistakes. Everyone's out to get me. People don't appreciate me. I am not loved. Nothing can separate me from God's love. God doesn't count my sins against me. I have been made new. God will never leave me. His mercy is new every morning. When God looks at me, he sees someone he loves. I have been redeemed. I have been made right with God. My mistakes can't outweigh God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is bigger than my failures. God has never given up on me. God chose me. I belong in the family of God. God gives me peace, even when my circumstances are chaotic. When God looks at me, he sees someone he loves. I am accepted. Nothing can separate me from God's love. God's forgiveness is bigger than my failures. I don't have to be afraid. I have been given the Holy Spirit to guide me, comfort me, and guarantee my relationship with God. I wanna ask you to stand with me. I wanna pray for us as we go, pray for you on this. God, we know we are a room full of people who are not perfect and with that comes some negative scripts. God, some of us have had negative scripts that are 20 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old that we've been telling ourselves again and again. And this morning, I ask that you give us the courage to take this dare, to push those aside and to pray your promises. God, would you, as we pray these promises, give us a new script about who we are, who you are, who others are, because of what you have done in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.